the lost dead roaming the plain throughout the night, searching for a body to bring them back to this world. Bollocks! Sabinus's bravado was tinged slightly by his realisation that he had neglected to make the appropriate sacrifice to his guardian god Mithras upon departure that morning, owing to the lack of a suitable bull in the 14th Gamina's camp. He had substituted a ram, but had ridden through the gates feeling less than happy with his offering. The guide pressed his point. We could be off the plain in an hour or two, and then we'll cross a river. The dead won't follow us after that. They can't cross water. Besides, General Plautius was adamant that we should be with him soon after midday tomorrow, Elianus reminded him. We need to carry on for as long as we can, sir. You don't like the sound of the lost dead, Tribune? Elianus hung his head. Not over much, sir. Perhaps an encounter with them would toughen you up. Elianus made no reply. Sabinus glanced over his shoulder. He could, again, just see the end of their short column, as the fog seemed to be thinning somewhat. Very well, we'll press on, but not because of any fear of the dead, but rather so as not to be late for the general. The truth was that the superstitious part of Sabinus's mind feared the supernatural as much as the practical part feared the wrath of Plautius should he be kept waiting too long so he was relieved that he'd been able to retract his order in a face-saving manner. It would not do to have people think that he gave any credence to the many stories of the spirits and ghosts that were said to inhabit this strange island. But he did not like the sound of the lost dead, and even less the thought of spending the night in their dominion. During his time on this northern isle, he had heard many such stories, enough to believe there to be a grain of truth in at least some of them. Since the fall of Camulodunum and the surrender of the tribes in the southeast of Britannia eighteen months previously, Sabinus had led the 14th Gamina and its auxiliary cohorts steadily east and north. Plautius had ordered him to secure the central lowlands of the island, whilst the 9th Hispana headed up the east coast and Vespasian's 2nd Augusta fought its way west between the Tamasis and the sea. The 20th Legion had been kept in reserve to consolidate the ground already won and ready to support any legion that found itself in trouble. It had been slow work, as the tribes had learnt from the mistakes of Caraticus and his brother Togodumnus, who had tried to take the legions head-on soon after the initial invasion and throw them back using their superior numbers. This tactic had failed disastrously. In two days, as they tried to halt the Roman advance at a river, the Afon Cantiaci, they had lost over 40,000 warriors, including Togodumnus. This had crushed the Britons' resolve in the southeastern corner of the island, and most had capitulated soon after. Caraticus, however, had not. He had fled west with over 20,000 warriors and had become a rallying point for all those who refused to accept Roman domination. A light breeze picked up, gusting east to west across their line of travel, swirling the mist and clearing a swathe off to Sabinus's right. He pulled himself up in his saddle, feeling a relief that visibility had cleared, if only by a few score paces in one direction. He began to mutter a prayer to Mithras to shine his light through the gloom of this fog-bound island and help him to... He caught a fleeting glimpse out of the corner of his eye. He turned to look, but it was gone. The wind sucked the mist back in and... Doubt clouded his mind as to whether it was a movement he had seen, or it was just his imagination feeding off the tales of horror that were hard to banish from his head. The stories could never be unheard. 
During the two months that Plautius had been forced, for political reasons, to pause north of the Tamasis, waiting for the Emperor Claudius to arrive and take the credit and glory for the fall of Camulodunum, the 14th Gamina had probed west along the river. It was at this time that Sabinus first began to hear reports from his officers of strange apparitions and unnatural occurrences. A legionary had been found barely alive, flayed, and yet still in uniform. His dying words had been of demons that sucked the flesh from his limbs. Another had been found dead, drained of blood, and yet with no wound on his body or trace of the life-giving fluid seeping into the ground close by. Spectral figures in long luminous robes that glowed with an unnatural fluorescence were sighted regularly, especially near to the mounds covering the tombs of the ancients, and the many henges of both stone and wood that seemed to be, along with the sacred groves, centres for the Britons' barbarous religion. At first, Sabinus had put this down to the overactive imaginations of superstitious soldiers, but after Claudius's departure...